0: The book of Psalms could and it has been called a number of different things. It has been called a book of prayers. It could definitely be called a book of poetry. It's also been called a book of songs. You could also call it a, a library of worship and pilgrimage liturgies. It it could be called all these things because it is in many senses, all these things. The book of Psalms, as we call it, is a compilation of prayers, songs, chants, all in poetical form that we find in the Christian scriptures, we find it more or less in the middle, and that has been compiled together, gathered throughout history, and become this collection of of these poetic outbursts and expressions of a community of faith. Of a community of faith through the ages that has used these uh, in song and in their expression as a community of faith. For prayer, for chanting on their way to the festivals, for reflecting and singing together. And every Summer in OIC, we spend time with the Psalms. And we spend time with the Psalms because they're so rich and what they have to offer, but also because they have this unique thing of being a part in the Scriptures that is, as part of Scriptures, we understand it as part of God's revelation to us. But at the same time, they are words addressed to God very often. So they have a, this particular invitation that we not just listen to them, but we ask, what does it mean to bring this into our mouths, into our experience of the community of faith, into our expression? How do we today, as followers of Christ, sing these psalms, pray these psalms? Can we? <laughs> Are they proper in our lips? What does it mean to go into this part of Scripture that invites us to speak it out loud? So we do this every, every summer and reflect on this unique character of the psalms. But still, we are not that often, and now I'm speaking beyond OIC, I think as, we are not that often using the psalms directly as prayer and song. It's not, it, it pops here and there, right? But it's not that often that we get the psalms directly. But there are a handful of psalms that are used like that by Christian communities around the world. And this happens in different ways. Today, we just sang a song that is based on a psalm, House of God Forever, based on Psalm 23. And then we have that. But once in a while, you also will have songs that are much more directly from, from the psalms. And the psalm I want to read with you today is actually one that I used to sing in the church that I grew up in back in Brazil. And though we did cut out a couple of sentences and sort of jam up the order of the psalm a bit, the words we sang were pretty much taken directly from the psalm itself. And whoever wrote the song, I don't really remember now, but they, they didn't, in that sense, write a song inspired by the psalm, but they were rather trying to sort of set a new melody, a new tune to a psalm. And it's not hard to see why someone would want to set this particular psalm into song. And I want to read it for you, and I want to, I want to invite you to listen. To not read it, and we're not going to have it on the screen as we often have with our, with our Bible verses. But as we have talked about also on some other Sundays, but the psalms emerge from an oral tradition. And the poetry of it has to do with that as well. And with a way of engaging with scriptures that is about listening and repeating and letting us ourselves wander into the poetical and linguistic landscape that is there. And we're so used to reading everything all the time and and tackling information that our brains quickly go into a certain way of dealing with information when we're reading. So I want to invite you to listen. And in that way, just have a short exercise in touch with this oral tradition from which these psalms emerge. And I will read it for you. Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory Do His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This is not a psalm of of lament or distress. Many of the psalms, they are psalms of anguish, of lament, of distress. But this isn't. This is a joyful and triumphant song of worship and acclamation. It is a powerful call to worship. And having having quite literally sung it in worship for a good chunk of my life, I felt compelled to revisit uh, this psalm in this series in which we are approaching the psalms asking how we might sing them. What does it mean to bring them into our expression of faith? And asking if it is fitting that we sing them. And what kind of reflection we might need along the way as we're bringing in what is a very ancient text into our life of worship today. And revisiting Psalm 96 got me both excited and uncomfortable. It got me excited because... This is an engaging call to worship that calls the nations to worship together. And that's the kind of thing that warms my heart. Right? Here, here we are. That's part of what OIC is and has been doing. A community of people so wonderfully varied and diverse, culturally and otherwise, And I love that. The possibility of singing across these differences and singing a new song and singing together. So the psalm got me excited. But at the same time, the psalm got me a bit uncomfortable. Reflecting back on on myself and my church singing this, And now reading this as someone who is, in a sense, a trained reader, (laughs) being as I am naturally skeptical, and also having had the privilege of having my world immensely expanded by the people that I have met through the years, I read this psalm and I ask, but who is singing this? And what's their agenda? Who is singing this and what's their agenda? Because if we make the exercise of glimpsing back to the one singing this in its original usage as long as we know it, it was not the nations. It was not the nations, at least not in the sense that we would think of it today. This was the people of Israel singing in their common worship to their God. If we approach this from a history of religion perspective, right, this is the people of Israel singing this in their common worship to their God. So isn't this a bit prepotent? For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. That's a big statement. It's a big statement. And we could go many ways with this. We could start talking about what we mean by idols and gods. We could argue about the cultural setting of the day and ask what do we mean by nations or question what other gods the people of Israel might have in mind. But the question that I really found myself asking is this. And I think it's an important question. Why is the psalmist bringing it up? What is the psalmist or the community of faith that is singing this? What are they trying to do with that statement? And as I read again through the psalms, not only this one, but especially this one, but also other psalms, I could boil this dilemma down to two important questions. The first question is, why would God's deeds bring joy to the nations? If the psalmist is thinking here, as most likely the psalmist is thinking, of the mighty deeds of God towards her people, towards the people of Israel, why would this bring joy to the nations? And why would God's judgment bring joy? Why would the nations want to be ruled by God? Because that's what the psalm is singing. Those are difficult questions. So how do we unravel this? Or, to put it differently, because trying to unravel all of this in one preaching would really not work, can we sing this psalm? Can we sing this psalm? Does this psalm have something to say to our expression of faith as followers of Jesus Christ today? I think that's probably a better question, because we would be foolish, I think, to assume that we can completely grasp the place of this psalm in the spirituality of the people of Israel hundreds of years ago, when the psalmist first wrote it and sang it, or in the life of Christians through the ages, through the world, for that sake. But we can approach the psalm from where we stand. And do that with an honest regard for the history of revelation and of interpretation that leads us here to this day, to this place. So for me, what opened up this psalm and sort of brought it in, in a way, uh, what unraveled it uh, for me was coming to it with a Trinitarian approach. A Trinitarian approach which I want to share with you now. As I read this Psalm, I read it simultaneously as the song of the just God, the song of the reconciling Son, and the song of the moving Spirit. The song of the just God, the song of the reconciling Son, and the song of the moving Spirit. To each of these dimensions of the psalm, I ascribed also a sort of a history of revelation stage, (laughs) though those stages are somewhat artificial in the sense they have to do more with how I read my own story than with who God is at each point. God is the same, right? God is the same and His grace is from everlasting to everlasting. This has to do with how we try to understand God in history. But here we go. The song of the just God is the song of the creator God. The song of the good God. Through the story of Revelation, as we understand it through the scriptures and the witness of the church. Through the story of Revelation, uh, it places the worship of this one God on the lips of the people of Israel when it's first sung. But this same story of Revelation also comes with a strong reminder that God is not the God of Israel, but rather Israel is a people God chose and shaped for himself. And and in fact, a people that from the very beginning was called for the sake of the nations. We could go theologically all the way back to the calling of Abraham. For the sake of the nations. God is the God of the world, of the nations, of creation, before He is the God of Israel, and after, and during. He is the Creator God, the Lord who made the heavens, the God who is holy, and whose call for people to be holy is a call for a life in closeness to God. This is the song of the God who is good, and because of that goodness, acted in marvelous deeds among the peoples. So why would the judgment of God bring joy? Because the God whom the psalmist declares will come to judge the earth is the one who is good and holy and God over all the earth, and that created, out of it, it, that created it out of his goodness. Why would God's deeds bring joy to the nations? Because even the deeds of redemption that the people of Israel knew and sang, they were part of God calling and setting apart his people for to be a holy priesthood through whom the nations might come to worship. Bring an offering and come into his courts, says the psalm. And this invitation extends to all, even if at times in history it was unduly restricted. And you can see how happy Jesus was about that when when he walks into the court of the Gentiles in the temple and starts turning the tables and sending everybody running. It's supposed to be an open court. The song of the just God is the song of the Creator God and is the song of the good God, is the song of the God whose justice is the justice that redeems the poor and the weak and the broken. But this is also the song of the reconciling Son. The revelation and the mighty deeds of God did not end when this psalm was first written. Nor with the things that this psalmist, whoever it was, had in mind when it was written. The revelation and the mighty deeds of God did not end there. But the Psalms call for a new song, it has a prophetic reach. The people of God, they keep singing, and God keeps singing. And the song of God, it hits the sweetest and the most perfect tone in Jesus Christ. The tone that most perfectly hits the frequency of our hearts and of the needs of the world. Sing to the Lord, praise His name, proclaim His salvation day after day. When Christ is born, when word becomes flesh, a new song springs to life that breathes new meaning and depth, also into Psalm 96, which beforehand claims it. The curtain of the temple is is torn in two, and the wall of hostility between peoples crumbled with the power of the perfect offering of the Lamb, of God. Christ opens the sanctuary and embraces the farthest corners of the earth, and Christ reveals the extent of God's grace in judgment. Why would judgment bring joy if this is the song of the reconciling son? Because Christ's righteousness stands before and within us in the middle of a reality that is scarred by corruption, by injustice, and by unrighteousness. And there is a way into a reality of justice and peace even for us because we ask that the righteousness of Christ cover and transform our own injustice, strife, and war. So why would God's deeds bring joy to the nations? Because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that life might triumph, might endure, might blossom in the weirdest and most unlikable and arid places. But even though Christ might be the sweetest tone in God's song, They haven't stopped singing. And neither have we. This is also the song of the moving spirit. The psalmist continues to call, as we read this out loud and as the scripture goes through the ages, it continues to call, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth. And having Christ to call Lord and having the blessing of singing with the nations right here in this church today, we ask again, what new song are we to sing? How do we sing Christ today? And the song of the moving spirit, I think and believe is like it's like jazz or like a good bossa nova. It has a theme, Christ, but the band, the Church of Christ, us gather here today, is called to improvise on that team as they take into account the crowd, the space, and the mood of the times, and what's going on around them. That's what a good jazz band does. That's what a good bossa nova band does. It knows its riffs, it knows its theme, but it knows how to play where it is. As we look at the world today and the reality in time and space that we are experiencing with wars, with climate change, with corruptions in all their forms, with nations looking inward, <laughs> with poverty, at our sidewalks and in our screens. And I could, the list could go on, right? Why would God's judgment bring joy? And how are we called to express it? Why would God's deeds bring joy? And how are we called to express it? And I admit that I haven't been exceedingly enthusiastic of the world these days. And honestly, I have often questioned myself if there is a place for genuine joy when there is so much going on. So many that are hurt and despised, so much inequality, so much greed and pain. And there is such a thing as selfish joy. The kind of joy that despises or ignores the suffering of the other. That maybe even revels in announcing its own joy and victory against the misery of the other. And there are people who call themselves Christians who do express that kind of joy. And I I don't want anything to do with that kind of joy. I, I would rather call it pride. But I don't think that's what the psalmist is inviting us into. There is such a thing as prophetic joy. As a song and a joy that is defiant because of faith not ignorant, not insensitive, in touch with and therefore defiant. There is a joy that is prophetic because of faith, that is defiant because of faith, and that is embracing because of love, and that is forgiving because of grace. A joy that doesn't despise the suffering of the other, but invites it in and aims to be a relief. A kind of joy that doesn't shut out the pain of the world but dares to touch it because believes that God can be present in the middle of it all and transform from within. I think we need to sing songs of joy sometimes with tears in our eyes. Songs of hope. Sometimes with despair in our minds and in our screens and in our bodies. And maybe that's why we also need to do it in a community of faith. It's hard to do it alone. But there is such a thing. It's calling for songs of joy that insist, insist on the goodness the God who is judge and is creator and who sees the needy and the broken. To insist on singing a song of joy that echoes the voice of the reconciling son. To insist on a prophetic song of joy that believes the spirit is still singing. So yes, I think psalms like psalm 96 can have space in our spirituality and our expression of faith if we tune the theme of the melodies of our lives to christ himself there can be some wonderful things and sounds coming out of this holy song. Perhaps then we can sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth, sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness, tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation Rejoice before the Lord, for He comes, He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you that you may know that He is gracious towards you. May the Lord you turn His face towards you, into the reality of your lives, the darkest of your days, and the brightest of your nights, and may He bring you peace. So go in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and serve the Lord, and serve the world, and serve each other joyfully. Amen.